0: Welcome, and thanks for listening to the New Life Christian Ministries podcast. If you'd like more information about New Life or for more podcasts and other media, go to newlifexn.org.
1: our family in a profound way. Uh, Five years ago, on November 1st of 2011, our 17-year-old daughter died in a car accident.
2: October 28th of 2009, uh, when I got up that morning, I did did not realize how my life was going to change that day. Um, I went to work, um, had a very serious accident at work um, to my left arm, and I as I rode in the helicopter to the hospital, everything was running through my mind about my family, uh, if I was ever going to work again, if I was going to have my arm. And when the doctor came in and he said to me, you're one of the luckiest people I've ever seen. Um, I said, I know. And he said, no, you don't know. He said, uh, you know, your breaker or He's looking at me. He said, that's a three minute bleed eye. You would have never made it here. In
3: 2008, my family and I were looking for a church that had a focus on children and youth. We had, our boys were both young at the time, and the church we are currently attending was the church that I grew up in and really didn't have programs to suit them. So we were looking for something that would uh, be impactful in their lives and fit our family and what we were looking for. So one day I just Googled churches in the Saxburg and Sorber area and New Life popped up. I clicked on the link, uh, we visited, and uh have been attending ever since 2008 back when the services were held at the primary center
1: within two months after alex's accident i was asked to be a youth leader and immediately i knew that this was where god was calling me i knew that through this ministry he would use me to pour into the lives of kids and Also, I was able to develop relationships with other leaders. They became like my brothers, my little brothers and sisters. Uh, We became a family.
2: My daughter um, had started to attend New Life. And uh, she had known Alex Summers, and through her tragic loss, um, my daughter started to attend New Life. And immediately I could see a change in my daughter. She would come home from service, and I mean, immediate change. It was to the point where I couldn't wait for her to come home and uh, tell me the, the message that the, the uh, pastor Chris had, had went over. And uh, my wife and I, you know, we always bounced around to churches. Um, we'd go for a while, kind of when it fit our schedule. Um, so my daughter invited us to New Life, and. Uh, uh, I'll be honest, the first time I went, I really didn't like it. Um, I was more of a traditional type guy. Um, But the message that Pastor Chris had had gave that day, I went home, and I I just couldn't get out of my head, and um, I couldn't wait to go back. New Life has impacted my life in several ways. The most prominent being uh,
3: was the ability to go to Cuba on two different occasions and uh, see the impact that New Life had on an international basis. Uh, Being able to provide uh, the Cuban pastors uh, finances to purchase church buildings so they could continue to expand their ministries was something they'll never forget. Um, To see the joy in their faces, to see uh, the impact that it had on their local communities, just to have a building where they can meet and uh, preach the word of God to to the Cuban people was very powerful to me and something I'll never forget.
1: I think new life can impact thousands of people It's a place that offers hope in Jesus. It's a place where the Word of God and His truth is proclaimed. And as we are being equipped through engaging the message, as we read our Bible, we're in prayer, and we're growing in our faith, when we go out into our communities and into our nation, wherever we go, they're going to see Jesus' light through us.
2: The amount of the the youth that are attending youth group and, and, you know, that just shows me how the Lord's working through this church I mean uh, it's just amazing um, the impact that in this community and and throughout the world you know um, every day you can see it And, um, and I am I am so blessed that we found New Life and it's amazing how we found it through somebody else I think New Life's already had a very significant impact on our local community.
3: Adding an additional facility that focuses on children and families uh, would do even more so uh, to, to grow the kingdom and reach more people for Jesus. Uh, anytime you're focusing on children and families uh, like New, New Life has from day one, I think it uh, has an opportunity to reach more and more people for Jesus
0: and make a greater impact on the community. Uh, We're so excited, Uh, Nancy and I are so excited to see what God is doing and what he has done is certainly amazing, but we believe uh, the best years of new life are ahead of us. If Jesus tarries, if he doesn't return soon, we believe we're going to see thousands of people come through the doors and all different kinds of doors, whether it's the worship center, whether it's the Children's Nurture and Discipleship Center, whether it's the doors of our homes in the community and region around us, we're going to see people who right now are, are feeling lost, broken, hopeless come to receive the, the new life of Jesus Christ uh, with the world. Uh, and we're going to see everything happen in a, in a way that we haven't yet seen because of the faithfulness of so many people. And, and that's why we're saying yes to uh, this opportunity over the next three years to provide that facility which will provide opportunities for our mission to be fulfilled in ever-increasing ways.
1: I am Tammy Summers.
3: I'm Roger Davis. I'm Dave Lesinski, and I'm saying yes. Yes. Yes.
2: Yes. Yes.
0: Well, the worship team told me this morning that's my last chance to dance up the steps to that uh, little. I said, well, I missed it. Uh, As you can see, we're in a series called Just Say Yes, and this is a very important weekend. Uh, Four weeks that we've been in this series, and the first week we talked about now is always the best time to say yes to God. And then in the next two weeks, we talked about the cost of saying yes to him and the cost of saying no. And then last week, Pastor Mark brought us a great message about the blessing of saying yes. And the blessing of saying yes, as he told us, isn't what we might think. You know, some people think that when we say yes to God, it means that we get more and more stuff. But really, God doesn't want to raise our standard of, of living so much as our standard of giving. So the blessing of saying yes to God is he gives us more so we can give more and, and so we can be more generous. And, and then today, we're to it's coming to the climax. It's not the end of the series. Actually, there are two more weeks in the series. But today is the climax of the series where we talk about the greater blessing that God gives us when we say yes to him. And that's what we're going we're gonna to go over. And, and as I mentioned, this is not... Um, Typically, an insider church, but today is about as insider as it gets. So if you're here for the first or second or third time, I just want you to know um, after this week, pretty much we're going to be moving back towards what we always do, which we're going to do this every, every single week, and that is to share, grow, and live the new life of Jesus Christ with the world one person at a time. Our focus is outward because Jesus told us to go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he gave us direction about how to do that. He said, start where you are. In fact, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he says, You're going to be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit comes in Jerusalem, which is where they were, in Judea, which was the surrounding nation, in Samaria, the next door nation, and to the ends of the earth. So here at New Life, our focus has always been local, regional, national, international. And today, as we do this yes initiative commitment, it's a three-year commitment to raise funds for the Children's Nurture and Discipleship Center. That's going to be local. It's it's a building. It's going to be right over there. And uh, and as we continue to give, um, and, and and in a second mile way, which means beyond your regular tithes and offerings, you're going to give this special gift over three years, what's going to happen is we're going to see that building. I believe we're going to see that building there next year as a result of our faithfulness. But for those of you who are here For the first time, this message is still going to be applicable to you because we always preach from the Bible. We don't just talk about our stuff. We talk about what God wants us to know. And this has been a challenging series. It's been a really challenging series because we've looked at some of the really tough passages about what it means to commit ourselves to Jesus Christ. So we're going to go today to the book of Acts and we're going to look at an example of the Apostle Paul uh, meeting with the elders, the elders or the leaders, the pastors from a church in a place named Ephesus, he had planted or or, or grown that church, put that church, started that church, and he lived with that folks for three years. But then he went to plant other churches, and now he's on his way to Jerusalem, and he calls for the Ephesian elders to come so he can talk to them one last time, so he can share with them his vision for them and their future. So that's what we're going to look at. But before we do that. Let's look at uh, today's take-home point. And again, if you're new here, we make one point, that we seek to make one point in our messages every week, not three or five or ten, but one. And so here's today's take-home point. Saying yes to giving blesses us more than saying yes to receiving. So saying yes to giving stuff away blesses us more than saying yes to receiving. I've said for many years that when it comes to material things, there's really only two kinds of people. There are givers and there are takers. However, what our take-home point reminds us is even the givers have to receive first. After all, if we don't receive something, we won't have anything to give. So there's a blessing both in receiving and a blessing in giving. And the reason there's a blessing in both is because God gives us everything. God gives us every good and perfect gift, whether it's a house or a car or money or clothes or food or whatever it is. It comes from the hand of God. And so we receive it. It's a blessing. And then when we can give it away... It's a greater blessing. And that's what we're going to talk about today as we look at Acts chapter 20, verse 18. So Paul is going to tell these leaders from Ephesus what's on his heart. And he's going to tell them that he's going to Jerusalem in something significant. He feels like something significant is going to happen there. He might even die there, he thinks. And he's not sure, but he knows that the Holy Spirit is leading him there. He's compelled to go there. So before we turn to the Scripture, let's turn to God in prayer. Let's pray together. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you love us so much that you sent your Son, Jesus, to give us a new life. We thank you that he is perfect and our imperfections are overcome by his perfection. We thank you that when he died on the cross, he crucified our sins with his, his death. He was perfect and he took our sin in himself. God, we thank you today that your Holy Spirit is with all of us who trust in you as savior and lord and I pray that you would fill us with your spirit today. You would open our hearts all of us, God, by your Holy Spirit that we might receive your message in our hearts and minds that we might love you more, that we might know you more deeply and that we might serve you more effectively. We pray this in Jesus name. Amen. So if you have your Bible, would you turn with me to Acts chapter 20 verse 18? Or Bible app, I guess you might have. If you don't have any of those things, it'll be up on the screen. So Paul, it says, When they arrived, and they is the Ephesian church elders, he, that's Paul, declared, You know that from the the day I set forth in the province of Asia until now, I have done the Lord's work humbly and with many tears. I have endured the trials that came to me from the plots of the Jews. I never shrank back from telling you what you needed to hear, either publicly or... Or in your homes. So notice that Paul started by reminding the leaders of the attitude that he had toward them and his work. And that attitude was an attitude of humility and compassion. Paul was a significant guy. In Paul's day, in the place of Israel where he grew up, he was a rising star, if you will, among the Pharisees. He was probably going to be part of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling council. He had been taught by Gamaliel, the greatest teacher of his day. So Paul was a superstar, a rising superstar. And and the church, which was very new and, and was just starting to grow, Paul saw as basically a stumbling block and he needed to get rid of it. So Paul, as a Jewish person himself, uh, he, was, he was getting letters from the leaders in Jerusalem, and he was going to all these different places. And one day, he was going to the city of Damascus in order to, to arrest Christians. And as he's going, Jesus appeared to him. Jesus appeared to him and said, Saul, Saul, he was called Saul then, why do you persecute me? And Saul didn't know who it was, but he realized this was significant. He goes, who are you, Lord? And, and Jesus says, I'm Jesus who you're, who you're persecuting. And so Saul's life was transformed that day. And now he became this great preacher, teacher, missionary for Jesus Christ. So if anybody ever had reason to be prideful, anybody ever had reason to think a lot about himself, it would be Paul. But what Paul said is, no, 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 I'm humble and I am filled with compassion. And that's because of what God has done for me. And we need to remember this if we are leaders, And you're a leader if you're a mom or you're a dad, or maybe at school you have some friends who follow your lead, you're a leader. Maybe you're a manager, or maybe you're the owner of the company, or maybe you're a pastor. We're all leaders. And we need to remember that leaders who follow Jesus lead humbly and compassionately. And Paul didn't just do that, but he led with strength and he led with perseverance. Now, Paul mentions that he had endured many trials from the plots of the Jews. So he had been a Jewish leader, but now the Jews were after him. And, and Paul understood something. He understood why the Jews were after him. They thought Jesus was a fake. They didn't think Jesus was the Messiah, the long awaited deliverer. They thought that he was not even, he was not, not at all who he said he was. And so they thought that the, the Christians, who weren't called Christians yet, they were called the Way, they were not a sect of the Jews. They were heretics. And they deserved to be stamped out. And that might mean imprisoned or it might mean executed. So Paul understood what was going on and so he added in this initial part of his conversation with the Ephesian elders that he never shrunk back from telling the Ephesian believers what they needed to hear and that he had done so in two venues, publicly and in their homes. So when Paul went to a city, he would go to the synagogue first, if he was allowed to go in there, where groups of people, large groups of people would gather and he would talk to them or he would go to the marketplace. He would talk to everybody that would listen. And then when people started believing, he would go to their houses in small groups. You could say Paul was the one who originated the small group movement in the church. So he said, I want you to go in large groups like this and in small groups in your homes. And we need to. This is an important lesson for us. If we want to grow in our faith, if we want Jesus Christ to be the center of our lives, if we want to say yes to him in the ultimate way that we can in our lives, then we need to make sure that we worship with him regularly in large groups but also that we gather together in small groups for prayer and for study and and to to support and encourage one another, just to grow in fellowship as as God's people. And sometimes I've had people come to me and say, Pastor Chris, I haven't been growing lately. Do you have any suggestions? And I say, well, I haven't seen you at worship recently. And they go, oh, yeah. I said, well, that's a suggestion. Maybe you ought to come to worship. And how do we make sure we come to worship? might seem silly, but put it on your calendar. You know, if I have a dentist appointment, I don't miss it because I put it on my calendar. And if I don't put it on my calendar, I do miss it. Same thing. What about small groups? You can sign up for a small group and put it on your calendar so that when somebody calls you and says, hey, can you do this Wednesday night? You go, I can. I have a I have a commitment. And so as we want to become more and more devoted to Jesus and say yes to him more and more, we need to be more and more intentional about large group meetings, small group meetings with other brothers and sisters. So Paul continues, I've had one message for Jews and Greeks alike the necessity of repenting from sin and turning to God and of having faith in our Lord Jesus. So Paul's message is simple and clear. Basically, it's this. If you're walking away from God, this is walking away from God, then you have to repent. And what repent means is turn around. So you turn around and turn back to God. Turn from your sin and turn back to God in Jesus Christ. What Paul said is how we turn around, that's our intention. We turn around, but we face Jesus who is Lord meaning He's owner of our lives once we turn our lives over to Him, and He's our Savior. He saves us from the sin that we were walking toward that was going to end us up really in hell. That's what Paul is saying. So we follow Him, and He, Jesus, died so that we can have a new life. And notice what Paul says. He says it is a necessity to repent. It isn't just optional. Like some people are bad, so they need to repent. All of us have sinned. All of us are broken. All of us need to repent. We all need to turn back to Jesus and we need his salvation. And that's the greatest gift that any of us will ever receive. You want to talk about the greater gift? The greatest gift is the gift of new life through Jesus Christ. He gave it freely so that we could have freedom from sin and death now and forever. So after Paul challenges the Ephesians with these overarching matters that are very important in our lives, if we want to follow him and say yes to him, he gets a little personal He says this, and now I am bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. I don't know what awaits me, except that the Holy Spirit tells me in city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. So, Paul's frankness here, his eagerness to come to the completion of his work, shows us his commitment. So how in the world does Paul get to be so committed to Jesus Christ that he says, I don't care if I die when I go to Jerusalem because the only thing that matters to me is to complete my mission of sharing the good news of Jesus with everybody who will listen. Well, we sort of got a clue to that in our second week in this series when we talked about the cost of saying yes. Remember what Jesus said if you're here. Jesus said that unless we hate our brothers and sisters, our parents, our children, even ourselves, we can't be his disciple. Well, really, the New Living Translation helped us to see what that meant. It meant that we're supposed to love Jesus so much that it would be like we hate everybody else. And Jesus said we had to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. So Paul had counted the cost of following Jesus, and he recognized in that environment, it could be his life. Paul could die, and he knew it, and he was glad to do it. And so in our lives, we need to make sure that we understand that if we follow Jesus, it's going to cost us everything, but it's also going to gain us eternal life. So then Paul goes on and says this, And now I know that none of you to whom I have preached the kingdom will ever see me again. I declare today that I have been faithful. If anyone suffers eternal death, it's not my fault, for I didn't shrink from declaring all that God wants you to know. So what's Paul saying here? He's saying, I was there for three years, day in and day out. I was side by side with you, and I told you the truth of God in Jesus Christ. If any of you die and go to hell, it's not my fault because I told you the truth. And ever since new life began 15 and a half years ago, as I've stood here and, you know, in various places, schools and at Ivywood, I have never shrunk back from telling you all the truth. That there is salvation in no one else. There's no other name under heaven given among people by which we must be saved, and that's Jesus Christ. And, and so, one day when you stand before Jesus, um, you will know why you are or you are not being welcomed if you've listened to these messages. Now, if you've responded, you're going to be welcomed. But the thing is, that's true of every pastor who's ever preached here. And one prerequisite I have for anybody that preaches at New Life is that you have to believe that there is salvation in no one else but Jesus Christ. And so as you think about this important truth, as we all think about this important truth, what we know is we live in a culture that bends the truth, changes the truth, and says that it's all relative. Well, you won't hear that here. Because we can't change the truth just because it's hard. I mean, these last five weeks have been five of the hardest weeks of messages that we've had in the history of new life. And that's because we've looked at the hardest passages there are in you know, Jesus' teaching and in Paul's teaching so that we can understand and have our eyes wide open as we say yes to him. Now, after Paul's personal reflection, he goes back to his role as instructor. And here's what he says. So guard yourselves in God's people. Feed and shepherd God's flock, his church. Purchased with his own blood, over which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as elders. Now there are two things that are very important in this. I love this statement because number one, he tells us that the leaders in the early church had three roles. They were shepherds, which is a pastor. They were elders, which means that they made decisions. They were leaders, and it says he they were overseers, as you watch over. um, That's what we would call that a bishop today. So there weren't like bishops and elders and pastors, there were just leaders and they all had those roles. The second thing Paul tells us is how we lead. And it's very important, it says, we must guard ourselves before we can guard others. When you're being equipped to be a leader for Jesus Christ, the first thing is to be prepared yourself, be prepared myself. I, I, when I was 14 years old, I was a Boy Scout and I took life-saving merit badge out in Ohio at scout camp. And the first thing I learned on the first day of life-saving merit badge class was, what's the first rule of life-saving? Save yourself first. Save yourself first. You see somebody drowning out in a lake. You don't just swim out to that person, you know, especially if that person is like the size of Paul and I'm the size of me because Paul was going to drown me. So if you're drowned, you can't really save anybody, right? So that's why the old saying was reach, throw, row, go. You reach for people with a stick or something. You throw a rope to them. You row a boat to them. The last thing is go. And frankly, you don't even go if the person's bigger than you because you're going to drown. You wait till they, well, you go. You wait till they go under and then you bring them in. What's the point of that? The point is in spiritual terms, it's the same. How are you going to help somebody else? How are you going to help your family members, your, your classmates at school, your coworkers? How are you going to help people here in the church to grow if you don't, Grow yourself. So we have to guard our own lives before we can help other people. And then the next thing Paul says is, I know that false teachers like vicious wolves will come in among you after I leave, not sparing the flock. Even some men from your own group will rise up and distort the truth in order to draw a following. Watch out. Remember the three years I was with you, my constant watch and care over you night and day, and my many tears for you. So one of the dangers in every era of history is false teaching. And and the thing that's uh, sort of difficult for us who live in America is our culture has taught us there's no absolute truth, therefore there can't be any falsehood. So you can't really have false teaching in our culture. Paul would scoff at such an idea, not because he was from a primitive time, not because he was a primitive person. In fact, he was one of the most scholarly people of his day, but because he had met Jesus personally. He had met Jesus face to face in a vision. And Jesus had instructed him on how, uh, how the truth and error differed. And so what Paul is saying is there are going to be people outside of the church and they're going to tell you lies and you need to know their lies. And then he said something that's a little scary. He said, not all of the people telling you lies are going to be on the outside. Some of them are going to rise up from the inside. And, and the interesting thing is several decades later, when Jesus dictated his letter to the church in Ephesus in the book of Revelation, he, 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 first of all, he commended the Ephesian church. He said, you, you're great. You know what? You do not put up with false teaching. You, you, you see these false teachers and you, I mean, you could smell a false teacher a mile away. And, and, and so he commended them for that. So they listened to Paul's teaching. But then Jesus said, bah, but I have a problem. And here's what he said. He said, I have a complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you have fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. Now, I don't know if you've ever been part of a church where they teach the truth. I mean, they teach the truth. But you don't even know if they like you very much, let alone love you. I've been part of that church, and it's not fun. Here at New Life, ever since we started, we've been talking about truth and love. And we say truth is, is, is obviously from God's word and love is what God has for us and that we have to bring them together. Truth and love, truth and love. Ephesians 4 tells us that we speak the truth in love when we're mature. And so we seek to hold the truth in love together here because if you overemphasize truth, you underemphasize love. And if you overemphasize love, you underemphasize truth. And as uh, as you'll see on the screen, it says truth and love are the heart of the good news. Truth and love. Jesus loved us so much that he gave his life for us. But Jesus loved us so much that he taught us the truth. And he said, you uh, basically, here's where he puts the truth and love together. When he says, if you love me, you obey my commands. So truth and love always go together in the gospel, in the good news. And that's what we have to do. And What Paul was saying to the Ephesian elders, they took it to the extreme of truth. And Jesus wanted to bring them back to the combination of truth and love many years later. Now, Paul moves to the conclusion of his message. There's just a couple more verses here we're going to look at. And the first thing he says is, And now I entrust you to God and the message of his grace that is able to build you up and give you an inheritance with all those he has set apart for himself. What Paul is saying is, The ultimate authority is not me, Paul. The ultimate authority is God. And I entrust you to him and his message of truth. And here's the thing that we have to understand, especially in an age in which truth isn't valued very highly. And that is that if we hear something in Scripture, we read something in Scripture and we go, I don't like that. That seems hard or that seems, that seems like exclusive. I, I don't really like that. We don't get to say, I don't really like that, so I'm not going to do that. Because it's the God of the universe who created everything that exists and who died in his son, Jesus Christ, to redeem us from sin. And his Holy Spirit who empowers us, who's telling us all of these things for our own benefit. And that's what Jesus I mean, I'm sorry, Paul wanted the Ephesian leaders to know is that when they were in doubt, they simply needed to go back to the word of God and the truth of God and to share that in the love of God and they would be fine. And then finally, Paul writes this or says this, I have never coveted anyone's silver or gold or fine clothes. You know that these hands of mine have worked to supply my own needs and even the needs of those who were with me. And I have been a constant example of how you can help those in need by working hard. You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. There it is. The greater blessing, it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. Now, it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. That means that receiving is a blessing, as I said earlier, but giving is a greater blessing. And and the Apostle Paul had every right to say that because Paul had given up his home his family, his status, everything that was important to him except for his life. And he was just about going to give that up. And he, w- he would eventually give up his life. And you know what? Paul wouldn't even want us to be sad that he gave up his life because here's what he said to the Philippian church. Uh, he said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. The only way you, we can get to that point The only way where we can get to the point of saying yes in an all-in kind of way, 100% all-in kind of way like that, is if we believe that Jesus is who he says he is. That he's the son of the living God who died for us and paid the penalty for our sins and rose for us. The resurrection is the pivotal point of the reality of our faith because if Jesus stayed in the tomb, we wouldn't be here today. At least I wouldn't. But Jesus rose from the dead. And that means that we can have new life. That's what Paul said. That's what, we, that's what Jesus said, that he would die so that we could have new life. He would draw all people to himself when he was lifted up on the cross. So Paul is making sure that we understand that everything, everything that matters comes from Jesus. Every good and perfect gift comes from him. It's a blessing to receive. It's a greater blessing to give. Now, we live in a culture that doesn't really think that's true. We live in a culture that says, ease, taking it easy, that's the way to go. Having more stuff, more and more stuff that we receive in our lives, that's the way to go. Having more status, that, that's the way to go. Now, I know I'm painting sort of a caricature to, you know, maybe to show you the example of what our culture's like, but I want you to think about this for a minute. Pretend that you're a parent of a teenager, and that teenager is 17 years old, getting ready to go off to college. And he or she comes to you and says, Mom, Dad, I've decided that I'm going to become a missionary in Syria. And you know what? I don't even care if I die for Jesus. I'm going to serve him. Now, I, I know people who have been in that situation. And some of those parents have come to me and they've said, You've got to talk my kid out of being a missionary or a pastor because I don't want them wasting their life like that. I, I sort of had to side with the kid. You know what I'm saying? If we really believe what we say we believe, then the greatest thing that we could do would be to serve Jesus fully with whatever we do. And being a missionary or pastor isn't greater than being an effective school teacher or or an effective clerk at a store. But, But what it does mean is that we're all in, that we've counted the cost of saying yes, we've counted the cost of saying no, and we've said yes. And we're going to do that regardless of people laughing at us. We're going to do that regardless of what people might say to us or what people might do to us. You know, the thing is, we have the opportunity right now in a different kind of way, those of you who are members and participants of New Life, to say yes over a three-year period of time to building this Children's Nurture and Discipleship Center. You're going to, and if you say yes, and, and thank you for those of you who already have because many of you have made advanced commitments. You've already said yes, which means you've said no to yourself In certain ways. Some of you are going to miss a pizza every week. Some of you are going to miss cable television for the next three years. Some of you aren't going to be able to buy a new car over the next three years because you have decided to give that to building the Children's Nurture and Discipleship Center. Some of you are making that commitment today. And when we give, what's going to happen is we will not have that available to use for ourselves. So I just want to make sure everybody understands And like Pastor Mark said last week, you know, we don't want your money. God doesn't want your money. God wants you. When I started New Life, I had a dream that there would be a church where the people loved Jesus so much that we would be willing to do what it took to reach lost people. And I didn't know it was going to be Saxonburg. I thought it was going to be Cranberry. You know, that was my dream. Okay, but Saxonburg's like, better than Cranberry anyway, right? Okay, so so in Saxonburg and in Pennsylvania... And in the United States and to the ends of the earth. And and I knew that it was going to cost a lot for us to do that. It would cost everything. But here's the kicker about this whole thing is when we give away, somebody's blessed. When we give those those boxes that you gave away, you took some of your money that you now don't have to spend on yourself so that some child somewhere can receive a blessing. And the greatest blessing of all is that good news of Jesus Christ. Some of you are giving your money away so we can build this Children's Nurture and Discipleship Center so people right here in our own community can come to know Jesus and, and can grow in him. And, and the thing is, they're going to be blessed. Those children are going to be blessed. But, but what you need to know is you're going to be blessed more. <laughs> you're going to be blessed more. We are going to be blessed more when we give our time, our talents, our treasure, and our touch than, than, we're going, you know, than the person who's receiving. Last night, this is a very simple, minor little example. I saw this little three-year-old girl last night, and she was so sort of shy. And I leaned down, you know, and I smiled. So... I got this big smile. It was like the best smile in the whole world. It was a priceless smile back. So I gave a little smile, and she gave me this like gap tooth smile. You know, it was amazing. And the thing is, it's the same way. Regardless, it's just on a different scale. We give away ten dollars to help somebody in need, and God isn't going to give us a hundred back. I mean, maybe He might, but that's not what I. That's been not been my experience. But my experience is that when we do that, there's a satisfaction and a joy inside of us that that you can't replace. There's nothing you can do. You can't buy something that's going to make you feel that way. And that's the point. When we give, we are blessed more than when we receive. So here's the commitment for today. I will say yes to opportunities to give this week that I may receive God's greater blessing. So in just a moment, what we're going to do is those of you who have an offering to uh, present, you're going to bring your offerings or tithes forward. Those of you who have a yes uh, or I said yes commitment card are going to put it in the slot of that thing. And when you come up, um, this half is going to come up to this side. This half is going to come up this side. Can I have the ushers come up with the offering boxes right now, please, um, so that you're already there? I want to make sure that we're ready. Um, and then I want you to stay up towards the front. Let there be room for people to come up and give their gifts, but then sort of go off to the side and over to the middle. You okay there? Okay, Um, off to the side, and we're going to stand together, we're going to sing together, we're going to pray together. But let's pray before we even start this whole deal. Let's pray together. Almighty God, I thank you so much for who you are and all you've given us. God, thank you for Jesus, for his great salvation in our lives. Thank you so much for his, his willingness to die and rise again so that we can have life now and forever. Thank you for your spirit who comes in us and lives in us as we trust in you. God, I pray right now that you would pour your spirit into us in a new and powerful way. God, I pray for those who are here today who maybe never before have said yes to you in any kind of way. I pray that right now they would say, yes, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord, my owner, my master. Yes, Jesus, I want you to be my Savior. Save me from sin and death, from my brokenness, my hopelessness. And God, as as each of us who have never done that before do that, God, I pray that your spirit will show them how this new life is radically different and better than the old one. God, for the rest of us, I simply pray that you'll give us a new anointing of your Holy Spirit that we might live boldly, confidently, humbly, and compassionately for you. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.